Okay, we're in uh, Mark's Gospel in uh, chapter 4. We looked at the four soils last week. And in those four soils, we discovered that um, it's not until you get to the last one where you find a heart, a good and noble heart that is capable of receiving the message and growing and producing fruit. The other three situations are sorely lacking and with no promise of anything to follow because they just weren't able to take root deep enough to grow or if it did grow, we find in the third soil, it was choked out and was still unfruitful. This is a busy day in the life of Jesus. And following upon this parable, he moves right on into another parable immediately. And you get the idea from verse... um, 34 or 33 it says and with many such parables he spoke the word to them so there were many parables being spoken that day and we just have recorded three of them here but these many parables were with not without design and not without purpose and yet he didn't share them with us uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. So let's read our scripture for today. Since we didn't read uh, earlier, we'll read this passage all the way down to the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 21. And it says, Also he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he uh, said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you, and to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given." But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, and he himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. Verse 29 says, But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, it is smaller than all seeds on the earth. But when it is grown, or sown rather, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. 
But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling, and he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And Father, we ask that you would bless us as we seek to gain a greater understanding of the ministry of the Lord Jesus, and that we would uh, have a comprehension of those things that need to impact our own heart and life, so that we might be disciples that are doing what is spoken of here. We're growing, growing into maturity and ready and waiting for the harvest to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this passage, Jesus is moving along in his discipleship teaching. As a matter of fact, don't get the idea we said last week. He wasn't just teaching the 12. In verse 9, it says, or 10 rather, it says, When he was alone, those around him with the disciples, or the 12 rather. So we had a great crowd of disciples were gathered around Jesus. And they were set apart or distinct from the rest of the crowd, the multitude. And as he was teaching them, notice, I want you to notice something that we're going to, it's going to lead up to. He said to them, he said to them, to the disciples, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Now, we have to understand this question in light of what's already gone before. This teaching about the soils. This teaching about what Matthew calls the word of the kingdom. And, you know, um, this gospel of the kingdom that was being spoken of here, later he just simply calls the word. We find in verse 11... He says, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. This is the subject. This is the topic of the parables that Jesus is teaching. And to know those parables, you, got, you must know them in relationship to the kingdom of God. And so this, this follow-up parable to the soils concerning the mysteries of the kingdom and the word of the kingdom, or what Mark here just calls the word, he says, concerning a lamp, that it's not brought to be put under a basket or under a bed. How many know that little children's song? (laughs) Are you thinking about it right now? Huh? This little light of mine, 
I'm going to let it shine. Y'all know that one, everybody? How many don't know it? Everybody knows it? Well, good. Everybody here. That's great. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. And then, of course, when we were back in Indiana, we said, let shine all over Tippecanoe. I'm going to let it shine. We'd put your hand around like this. Shine all over Tippecanoe. Of course, Tippecanoe wasn't very big. It didn't, it wasn't, but, you know, it's really talking about shining wherever we are, wherever we be. Is a lamp to be put under a basket or under a bed? What kind of obvious answer is expected here? No, of course not. You don't put it under a bushel basket and you don't put it under your bed. When the lamp is being brought out, and that's what the expression there brought is, it's being brought out. It's coming. Sort of like when you and I would say, the mail is coming. Well, how's it coming? Well, somebody's actually delivering it, you know, but the mail is coming. And so the lamp is coming to be put in the room. Now, why would they bring a lamp into a room? Well, because the room was dark, you say. Well, obvious. It's to bring light into the room. It's so obvious, it just, you know, it's almost ridiculous to us to think, why do we have to explain that? Now, the lamp, and I've got one here. I, you can't see it very well, but it's, this, this is just a typical little clay lamp of which he is speaking here. And there's a hole right here for putting the oil in. And you say, well, that wouldn't hold very much. Well, it didn't. Just a little dab, but it would burn for probably several hours like that. There's a little wick right here. And then right here is this little nubby thing here, a handle, and that's, that's the big lamp right there. Not much to it. And he tells us here that is it not to be set on a lampstand? Well, again, you say, that's crazy. That's the, what's the obvious answer there? Yes, that's where it's supposed to be put. On a lampstand, that's where it can create light. That's where everybody can see it. In a poor man's house, there wouldn't be literally a lamp stand like a table. There would be a little tiny ledge sticking out of the wall, and they would set the lamp on that, and that would provide light. If you were a little wealthier, you might have an actual table to sit it on where it would provide light. You know, these we forget about how poor people were in Jesus' day. Many, many did not have very much. It really was a lot like what our culture in America is becoming today. The gap between the rich and the poor is getting bigger and bigger. When we first went to the Bahamas, you know, people would say, well, what's it like, you know, in America? And we would just say, well, you, we have a few poor over here, we have a few rich over here, and we have this great big middle class. Well, guess what? Over the last 30 years or so, 
The middle class gap has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. The crowd of poor over here has gotten larger, and the crowd of the rich over here has correspondingly gotten larger. That's a lot like it was in Jesus' day. There were a lot of poor, and there were those who had great wealth. Tax collectors were often viewed that way, and so on. In view of this parable of the four soils, Jesus is instructing his disciples as to what to do with this word that is being produced in their heart because they are the ones who had the good and noble heart. They are the ones characterized by the good soil. They are the ones who, in all likelihood, will be producing good fruit. Now, they haven't yet. They've actually got a ways to go. They've got three years of training to complete here. So we don't expect it to happen overnight. And by the way, we'll see, we see that when we come up to the next parable. But the point of the whole thing is, is that the gospel of the kingdom is a light to be shared, not to be hidden, not to be closed in amongst our select few and just held right here and say, boy, we've got something that nobody else has. And let's keep it. Let's hang on to it. It's something to be out and to be shared. And if we're not sharing it, then shame on us. Because that's what Jesus has called us to do if we're a disciple of his. If we're going to be called a true follower of his, then we need to be dispensing the gospel. Now, He tells us in verse 22, There is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. Over in verse 11, he talks about the mystery of the kingdom of God. And we said that refers to the secret things, the hidden things that are now being brought to light. Not something that's hidden and we hide it there and we keep it, in our closet, or in some corner of the room, but it's something that's being revealed and something that's being shared. And that's what he's telling his disciples. Share what you know. I don't understand it like you do, Pastor. You don't have to. You don't have to. What you do is you share what you know. Share what you understand. Let God do the rest of the work and believe him for what he wants to do through you. Trust him for it. I'm intimidated by it. Trust him for it. I just can't think on my feet. Guess what? I can't either. That's my worst thing, trying to think on my feet. I can hardly do it when I'm sitting down. (laughs) Verse 23, he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Who's he talking to here? His disciples. His disciples, if they have ears to hear, let him hear. 
kind of an enigmatic statement because he said it earlier over in verse 9 when he first gave the parable of the four soils, he told them there, if you, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he gives the explanation of the parable. Then he gives how to apply that parable because it's not to be hidden. It's to be light to those that we share the gospel with. And then he repeats it again. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, then in verse 24, notice what it says again. Then he said to them, to his disciples, take heed what you hear. He continues this theme, expanding upon it, saying, well, take heed, be careful what you hear. React to it, respond to it. With or in the same measure you use, and quite literally it's there, in the same measure that you measure, because it's the same word, and I know the King James says meted. Well, who understands that? In the same measure that you measure out concerning the word of the kingdom, he says, it will be measured to you. Now, isn't that an amazing way to motivate us? If we're diligent and if we're active and proactive in sharing the gospel of the kingdom, and we do so in full measure, then we can expect to receive back in full measure. If we just give out a little bitty teeny witness here and there, then that's what you can expect to get back. Just a little bit. It will be measured to you and to you, he says, who hear more will be given. You know, to the one who hears, this is amazing in in this verse and even in the next verse, verse 25, there is a universal principle that the Lord Jesus is laying down for us. It's It's a spiritual law. And it's a law that says, if I share, if I am a light to the word of the kingdom, to the gospel of the kingdom, and I give it in full measure, then it's an absolute guarantee it's going to come back to me, not just in full measure, but full measure plus. More than that. Jesus even told the disciples on one occasion concerning giving. He says, you give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, running over. The whole idea was a picture of of a basket full of grain. And the thing was so full that it was just running over. So in verse 25, when he says, whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Do you realize the danger of appearing before the Lord's judgment seat with too little? 
just a little bit. Even what he has will be taken away from him. And we remember from the parable was it of the pounds. That's exactly what Jesus taught there. It would be taken away from them and given to the one who already has. More will be given. It pays to be diligent. It pays to be fruitful. Now in verse 26, you'll notice it says, and he said, but it doesn't say to them. And he said. Evidently, there was a change here. Back to the multitude. From the disciples, back to the multitude. And he tells them, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow and he himself does not know how. He's going into a little greater depth as to the process of planting seed and watching it grow. And he, he doesn't name a man, anybody here. He just says, as if a man. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's as if a man, any man, should scatter or sow seed on the ground. Now, of course, it's implied here, good ground. Good soil. Because the next verse talks about how it begins to grow. But what happens to the man who's sowing the seed? He's done all he can. He has fulfilled his responsibility. You hear that real well? It is not our job to make it grow. He says, and should sleep by night and rise by day. That is, he retires from his farming responsibilities and he begins to wait for the natural process of sowing the seed to take place because he can't do a thing about it. He can fertilize, he can water, he can cultivate, he can do all kinds of other things to help it along, but whether it actually grows or not, he has no control over it. Because built into that seed is a life principle. And only God can make that thing active and generate it and cause it to grow. It's the most amazing thing that they have discovered seeds in tombs and pyramids thousands of years old. And they have taken those seeds out planted them and they grew put them in some good soil put some water with them and isn't it amazing to think that after thousands of years the life principle is still in that seed and it begins to grow nobody can explain that there isn't a scientist on earth that can explain it they can give you all the details about the process that's going on in there, but they can't explain the life principle that's in the seed. So the farmer, when he sows the seed, 
He puts it on the good ground and he sleeps night and day, he says, and the seed should sprout and grow and he himself does not know how. It just does it. And the earth yields crops by itself. You cultivate it, you fertilize it, you do whatever you want. You don't put any on it. You can plant seeds and just put it in the ground and lots of seeds will grow. You don't have to do a thing to them. The earth by itself, or by actually it's by herself. First the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, so you got these four stages mentioned here. You have the blade peeking through the soil. Then you have the head developing once it grows up. Then you have the full grain in the head, talking obviously here about wheat and barley. And then when the grain ripens, when the grain ripens, how do you know when it's ripe? You know the farmer has no control over that either? None. Now they can manipulate and do certain things. For instance, they can harvest it ahead of time before it's ready. But you know what they have to do then? They take it down to their drying bin. And many, many farms have big bins and they dry the grain in order to make it fit for the market. I know when I, even when I was a kid, my uncle had this little, little contraption, wasn't very big, fit in your hand, and he'd just put a few, he'd go rub some grain out, and he'd drop it in this little metal thing that had a, um, a little dial on it, and it could read the amount of moisture in the wheat or the corn. And it could tell you whether it was ready for harvesting or not. But you know, the interesting thing about that is that the condition of the grain is what determined when the harvest would take place. Now, I don't know if we want to press this parable to that end. I tend to think we should. That Jesus is the one who's going to do the harvesting here. And the condition of the grain at the time of harvest is going to mean an awful lot. And I think that's what he's trying to get across to his disciples. What you are at harvest time, you got a little too much moisture in you, you're really not ready. You aren't prepared. But when it does ripen, he says, immediately he puts in the sickle. See, the farmer had no control over that. When he determined it was right. Now, how did they do it in Jesus' day? Well, probably they did like some people I've seen do it. They rub a few grains out. They pop them in their mouth. They chew on them a little bit and say, "Mm, that's a little too chewy. Get too much moisture in it. But when it gets just dry enough, just right, an experienced farmer can tell it's ready. It's time to harvest. And so they run the combines in the field and off they go. 
Why does it make such a big difference? Well, when you put it in your grain bins, if it's too wet, it's going to get moldy. And, or if you take it to the grain elevator and it's too wet and they've got a way to test it, you know, they're going to dock you, so you don't want that either. But that's, that's off the subject. Consequently then, the harvest has come. The harvest has come. You plant the seed in good soil, in a good and noble heart, as Luke says, and then when it grows, you become a light for the gospel of the kingdom. And when this age reaches its full maturity, or even possibly here, he might be implying when you as an individual believer reach your full maturity as a Christian, then it's time for harvest. And then he goes on to say in verse 30, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God or with what parable shall we picture it? What parable shall we cast alongside of it? Is what the word picture means. With what parable shall we parabolize it? Or put with it so that we might understand more fully and more completely this nature of the kingdom of God. Well, he says then it's like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. A little teeny, teeny seed which was the smallest that they would have been familiar with. Now, of course, scientists and botanists like to tell us today, well, there are actually some seeds smaller than that. You know what I say? Big deal. So you found a seed that was a little bit smaller. They don't have microscopes like you have. It was a different day. It was the smallest seed that they could see and know visibly and that they were familiar with. The point, and don't miss the point of the teaching then, the point of the teaching is this little tiny little seed of the gospel which is being shared with his disciples right now in this little obscure place up in Galilee and this other little obscure little village of Capernaum and even more so than that, down by the seaside. And that spot... Of course, all throughout the cities of Galilee where he went preaching the kingdom, it was going to grow and grow and become very, very large. Just like a mustard seed could become. Some eight to ten feet tall they can become. And they shoot out branches, he says. And then the the most interesting thing in that whole verse there, in verse 32, when it says, so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. That little word nest means to pitch their tent. (laughs) So that the birds could pitch their tent in the branches of that tree. Find rest. Find security in God's kingdom. And that's what we should all desire. He sums it all up with many such parables. 
It's hard for me to sit here and imagine all the parables that Jesus must have taught that day. Now, we know there were others. If we look to Matthew chapter 13, we see many other parables there. Was that the whole content of them? I don't know. But with many other parables, he taught them concerning the kingdom of God. And he taught them in such a manner, as we found earlier, that those who could not perceive and see and understand what he was teaching about the kingdom so that it would be hidden to them, as Matthew tells us, but for the disciples who had believed on him and trusted in him and believed his words, he made it known. Now, of course, even in a parable, they didn't get it all. He had to explain it to them. And matter of fact, in, 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 um, in verse 33, when he says, and with many such parables, he's, uh, parables, he spoke the word to them. The Literally, it says there, even as, even as they were able to hear it. I find it amazing that those who could not hear, he was teaching in parables to hide it from them. Those who could hear, we're still having trouble hearing, and he had to explain. But that's the nature of it for us, is it not? When we hear about the gospel of the kingdom, we don't understand it all completely. It's foreign to us. It's something that we must grow into. In the same way that he gave in our earlier parable, that when the seed is planted, even in good soil... It still must go through the growing process. And you know what else I think about that? Did you know that even tares grow up in the soil too? Right alongside the wheat. Tares. False believers. Untrue believers. growing right alongside the wheat. Verse 34, he says, Without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. So at the end of the day, at the end of the teaching period, when he finally completed teaching them in parables when he had a moment of time to be alone with his disciples not to the multitude he explained everything to them now you notice the division here again he who has ears to hear let him hear when the multitude who could not understand the, the, the parables that he was teaching. And he came to the end of that period of time. He separated himself from them and went alone to the disciples. And he explained to them. Now, I know if you're like me, you might be thinking, man, I wish he would have explained those things. It sure would have made things great if, we would, if he would have just written them down. But you know what? 
then you would have the same situation you had in Jesus' day. Those who could not comprehend, those who could not hear or see what Jesus was talking about would have it right here in front of them. They could read it. No, he left it up to us and the ministry of his spirit to teach us. That's what he told us. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. So he didn't record it and have it in writing. And then finally in this last section on this, on the same day it says, when evening had come. Now this, this could be anywhere from 3 o'clock in the afternoon. What they, you remember we said from 3 to 6 was the early evening. From 6 to 9 was the, was the later evening until sundown. Or from sundown I mean until dark what they call the, the, the latter evening. Whichever it was, it doesn't tell us. But he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, in Mark's gospel, there are four occasions in which Jesus said, let's get out of here. It's been a long day. The crowds were pressing him along the shore so much that he had gotten into a boat, you remember, earlier to teach the people. And he, you know, tried preaching for an hour or two hours sometime. And it, it'll wear you out. Sometimes you're just exhausted when it's all over with. And it can be very draining physically and emotionally and spiritually. At the end of this day, Jesus was wanting to get away from the crowd. Now, on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, there were, you look on any map, you'll see several cities over there. But if you go over on the eastern side, it's very remote country. Very little in the way of cities. There would have been a great place to retire with his disciples and just have some private time with them to recoup, to rest. Well, here they are. They're on their way. They left the multitude in verse 36. They took him along in the boat as he was. The boat. The word there for the boat in verse 36 is the same as we saw earlier. It was the larger fishing boat. And it says, and other little boats were also with him. Now Mark gives some most interesting details. And this great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. This imperfect tense. It was beating against this constantly, thrashing against the boat. Water was spilling over the edge in this big fishing boat. So that tells you how bad the storm was. And it was beginning to fill up. And things were looking pretty bleak. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus was so tired. And this is, by the way, is the first instance we see of his humanity in Mark's gospel. He was flat wore out. He went back to the stern of the boat and he went to sleep on a pillow. By the way, and Mark, it's amazing things. Mark's the only one that mentions about a pillow. Why that has to do with anything, I'm not real sure. He was on a pillow. It's sort of like um, when Jesus fed the 5,000 and he made them sit down because there was much grass there. Well, if I was telling the story, I'd have just said he made them sit down. 
Maybe the grass was to imply that it was a comfortable place to be. I don't know. But he had, he had commanded this pillow and went to sleep in the midst of this great storm. Now, I'm sure you've heard that it's, you know, the Sea of Galilee is very susceptible to huge storms like this. It is 680-something feet below sea level. Now, I, in my mind, I just like to tell, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm looking at a, 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 I'm drawing a line from sea level in the Sea of Galilee. And then I'm picturing over here on the left, because I'm looking north, I'm picturing over here on the left, up 682 feet, and guess what's over there? The shore of the Mediterranean Ocean. 682 feet higher than the Sea of Galilee. So as you're coming from the Sea of Gal- or, or from the Mediterranean Ocean, you're coming down over here to the Sea of Galilee, and you got all these hills and ravines and so on, and down you go. And of course, there was we mentioned about how they went about in the fields, so there was flat areas, but it made it a, an ideal place for winds to come in from the west going towards the east and swoop down those ravines and out onto the Sea of Galilee and to stir up the waters. And they would happen very suddenly and very quickly. And evidently, that's the scene that took place here. Of course, it didn't catch Jesus by surprise. He knew what was going to happen. We understand that. But the disciples, not so. And so they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, do you not care that we are perishing? We're sinking? We're about to go under? There's a big teaching session going on right here, isn't there? Yeah, they're about to learn something here as well. He arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, peace. Be still. The word peace means be quiet. And be still is be muzzled. Like you're putting a muzzle on a dog to keep him quiet. Now this, of course, was something, a major departure from anything that the disciples had seen up to this point. Because up to this point, it had been healing people and casting out demons. Now we're dealing with nature. And they were awed beyond anything you can imagine when the wind and the sea obeyed him. And it's, it's a... Um, when it says the wind seized and there was a great calm, I think it's the word seized. I think it's Aris tense. It implies that it was more like an instantaneous thing. It just, boom, just like that. Everything quit. And it was quiet and peaceful. And so, in verse 40, when he wants to make the point, when he wants to drive home what he wants his disciples to learn, he says, Why are you so fearful? Now, the word fearful there is like being timid, meek, 
more timid in the sense of, I'm scared. But then he says, how is it that you have no faith? Or you could rephrase it and say, as the other Greek text says, have you still no faith? After all the time that you have spent with me, from the time you met me, till the time that I called you as disciples to follow me, and having spent all this time on this Galilean tour, going throughout all the synagogues and seeing all these people healed of their diseases, seeing all these demons cast out, and now all of a sudden, why didn't you trust me on this little boat trip across the sea of Galilee? But they couldn't do it. I don't know that I could have either. But they didn't. And they feared. A different word from fear in the previous verse. They feared. They were in utter awe at what Jesus was telling them. He says, and they feared with great fear. That word exceedingly in the New King James. They feared with great fear. They were awed with great awe at what Jesus had just done and how he had rebuked them regarding their faith and said one to another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, there has been at this point no confession on the part of any of the disciples, including Peter, thou art the Christ. They are still wondering about who he is. How could anybody control the weather like he did? Well, we haven't time to go on into chapter 5. But as I stated earlier, there are four great withdrawals of Jesus coming apart from his busy day of activities. This is the first one, and we'll take that up the next time. But to finish this and close this session off of what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples, let us be reminded that we have this great responsibility, and it takes time. It takes time for the seed to grow. It took time three years or more for the disciples to grow to reach the point where they finally ultimately after Jesus had died and after he had risen from the dead that they began to grasp the whole implication of the gospel of the kingdom as a matter of fact even afterwards they still hadn't gotten it all because they said when they first met him, remember what he said? What they said? Will you at this time restore the kingdom? And it wasn't until his ascension, and it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came and rested upon, well, I say the Holy Spirit, <laughs> the, the power 
from on high, as we talked about earlier, came and rested upon that group of 120 that they began to comprehend. And then, boy, Peter just let loose with his sermon. I think there are a number of significant lessons that we can learn, but amongst them, we need to learn to be patient with people who are growing and maturing in the gospel. We need to be patient with ourselves. In the beginning, I was not very patient. I wanted to know it all, and I wanted to know it all right now. It didn't happen that way. And thank God for his growing and maturing process. I was just talking to a pastor friend of mine this week. He called wanting to ask some questions about about the kingdom and about theology and different things that he was uh, encountering. And, uh, you know, I, I look back on that and I think about how he was patient with me and taught me how to pray. Now, this is just one little application. He said, well, come on down. We'll meet together and pray. This was on Wednesday night, one hour before uh, prayer meeting. And I thought, oh, I was good. I was good with that, you know, because in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to ask the questions and you're going to pray. Now, the first thing he did, he says, okay, (laughs) you, you pray first. You know what my prayer was like? Uh, 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 God, thank you. Uh, thank you for something. I don't even know what I said, but I mean, I stumbled all over the place. It was humbling and humiliating. I had no clue how to pray. Didn't know anything about it. But if it wasn't for him being patient with me and working my way through learning to pray, I don't know where I would be today. Maybe I would still be just in my head and quietly praying or I don't know where I don't know where I would be. It didn't happen that way and I'm grateful for it. I'm glad he took the time. And the lesson for you and I is that we might take the time, that we might learn that we need to step out in faith and believe that God wants us to grow in faith. That he wants us to learn the gospel in its fullness so that we can be a light and share that gospel with all those around us and to understand that I may not know everything about it, but just like the plant in the ground that takes time to grow and to mature, so it's going to take time for me as well as those I share with. If they, even if it lands in good soil, it doesn't happen overnight. I pray that God will help us to see with open eyes and hearing ears to know what is in prospect for us when the day of harvest comes and that we'll be ready. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blessings. Again, we are very, very grateful, Lord, that you are so patient, so long-suffering, and so gentle, and so kind to us, far beyond what we can imagine or even think. And that what we have to look forward to in days to come may not be so exciting and may not be so pretty as long as we're here on this earth. But ultimately, in the day of harvest, 
in that day when you reap and you sift the wheat and the chaff is blown away, that we will remain, that we will be found approved by you, and that you will take great pleasure in how we've been a strong witness for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.